We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 453 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Wednesday November 30th 2022 and take that Iran who says that U.S. men's soccer can't get the job done a 1-0 win over Iran to advance to the round of 16 the knockout stage of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Biggest win for the U.S. over Iran since Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik for the WWF Heavyweight Championship in January 1984. Okay, maybe not, but you get the idea. Uh, Actually, the Iron Sheik on Tuesday afternoon tweeted his support for Team USA, or at least the person who runs the Iron Sheik's Twitter account tweeted Sheiky Baby's support for Team USA because there is a belief that the Iron Sheik doesn't actually run his Twitter account. But anyway, uh, you know, Sheiky Baby supporting Team USA actually wasn't surprising. So the Iron Sheik was a legitimate wrestler. He competed for Iran in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City in Greco-Roman wrestling, but he then fled to the U.S. and won an AAU championship in 1971 and then became an assistant coach on the 1972 U.S. Olympic wrestling team. But anyway, among the tweets of support from the Iron Sheik for the U.S. men's soccer team on Tuesday afternoon, this is great, was a photo of him with a U.S. flag and believe it or not, a Redskins wool cap. I kid you not. You can see it for yourself at the underscore Iron Sheik on Twitter. My man, the Iron Sheik, a.k.a. Sheiky Baby, repping the skins. Make him humble. Yes, Sheiky Baby, make him humble. Team USA made Team Iran humble on Tuesday afternoon. You see, the surging commanders have even the Iron Sheik showing his support for the franchise. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, which remains in the top 100 in the country on Apple Podcasts in the ultra-competitive category of U.S. football. That is a credit to you, so thank you for listening and downloading and subscribing. Uh, Also, thank you for rating and reviewing. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a a brief review saying that you like the podcast. Next segment, big guest, someone who I'm sure the Iron Sheik will appreciate, Commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, Logan is outstanding at talking Commanders from an X's and O's standpoint, and he's going to spend some time with us going in-depth on our rising commanders of them winning six of their last seven games, including the 1913 win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. You will hear, Logan, on whether the six wins in seven games are a sign that the rebuild under head coach Ron Rivera is working. Uh, You will hear, Logan, on the commander's defense, including an underrated reason for why the defense is so much better 
than it was last season. Uh, you will hear Logan on the commander's quarterback situation, including whether Ron should at all be open to going back to Carson Wentz as the team starter, and on why the commanders do not do more read option with Taylor Heineke. Uh, you will hear Logan on the commanders having leaned on their running game so much recently, and a lot more. Logan Paulson, next segment. Also on the show, Capitals winger Alex Ovechkin. He late night on Tuesday night made NHL history two first period even strength goals in a 5-1 win at the Vancouver Canucks. He moved past Wayne Gretzky to become the NHL's all-time leader in regular season goals in road games. The great eight surpassing the great one. Uh, I'll talk college hoops. Another dominant win for number 22, Maryland, 79-54 at Louisville. Also a come-from-behind win for number three, Virginia. Wahoo overcame an 11-point halftime deficit, won at Michigan, 70-68. And I have a Nationals segment for you. They, on Tuesday, had their first significant free agent acquisition of the MLB offseason. They, on Tuesday afternoon, announced that they had agreed on a one-year contract with Free agent infielder Jamer Candelario. And yes, you probably should put significant in quotation marks, uh, but this is a move that actually makes sense for the Nats. I shall explain. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Josh on his experience watching the Commanders win over the Falcons. Writes Josh, hi, Al. Happy belated Thanksgiving. I spent the week living like Dan on his super yacht as I was on a Disney cruise with my family for Thanksgiving. I got off the boat Saturday morning in Miami, then drove with my family 1,191 miles back to Maryland. We got home at 11 a.m. on Sunday, and my son and I were still able to make the game. We had front row seats to Kendall Fuller's interception. It was a post-Thanksgiving miracle. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you for the email, Josh. Wow, that was quite the weekend, man. And yes, happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Dan, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, email from Dr. Sabah on what else? The commander's kickoff return unit. No, just kidding. The email is about Taylor Heineke. Uh, writes Dr. Sabah. Al, I was, as usual, listening to your podcast this morning. I wanted to respond to your take on whether the Ron Rivera rebuild is working. Uh, yes, I talked about that at length on Tuesday's show, episode 452. Continues Dr. Sabah. Ron's rebuild only began when Taylor Heineke started at quarterback. We were 2-4 and four prior to this. Ron's rebuild would have started two years earlier if Ron didn't go out and get Fitz. Ron's rebuild would have started one year earlier if Ron didn't go out and get Wentz. Ron's rebuild will actually continue if he sticks with Taylor Heineke. Let Taylor Heineke have an offseason of prep. Continuity matters a lot in football, especially with this team. And you eloquently mentioned all of the young talent we have, especially on defense. Well, the best way to keep this talent and pay this talent is to have a quarterback who does not cost much, unlike $28 million Wentz, and sticking with a quarterback who allows the talent around him to flourish. Al, the biggest question for Ron is, will he resist the temptation to pick the hot chick over the steady mate? Will he once again pick <laughs> lust over love? Will he make the same mistake three off-seasons in a row, discarding Taylor Heineke for perceived better talent? Or will Ron actually stay the course and pick continuity and Taylor Heineke, low-cost high-quality quarterback, use the extra money to pay pain and others. Win without flash, but win. Making another quarterback change this offseason will definitely derail any progress in rebuilding as it already has the past two years. As always, love the podcast. Signed, Sabah, 
question mark GM smiley face. <laughs> Thank you for the email, Dr. Sabah. You know, few things put a smile on my face more than a Dr. Sabah email about Taylor Heineke, about our guy, Tay-Tay. So here's the thing about the commander's quarterback situation. They don't have to decide between Taylor and trying to get someone better than Taylor. They can do both. Sabat talked about choosing between the steady mate and the hot chick. Well, the commanders can have both of them. The commanders can date both of them and uh, still have Sam Howell. I'm not sure where he fits into the dating analogy. I'll let you figure that out. But to me, it's very simple. If you don't have a franchise quarterback, then you need to constantly be looking for a franchise quarterback. You need to constantly be taking swings at franchise quarterbacks. And you need to procure as many franchise quarterback options as are reasonably possible and just see what sticks. Taylor Heineke is set to be an unrestricted free agent this coming offseason. The commanders need to re-sign him. As I said weeks ago on the podcast, the commanders should be talking contract extension with Taylor right now, assuming that he's open to such a conversation. But re-signing Taylor wouldn't mean that the team should be done at quarterback for 2023. Let's see who and what are available this offseason. Let's see how the much-hyped quarterback class for the 2023 NFL Draft takes shape. As things stand right now, what I want for the commander's quarterback mix for next season are Taylor Heineke, Sam Howell, and TBD, as in to be determined, and may the best man emerge. And when it comes to Taylor getting a full offseason of prep and the coaching staff going all in on, wait for it, tailoring the offense to Taylor, no doubt there is value in those things. But I would also say this, the coaching staff should, wait for it, tailor the offense to Taylor right now. He is the starting quarterback. A coaching staff should not need an entire offseason to adjust to a quarterback, especially when the quarterback has been with the team Since December 2020, as Taylor has been, and especially when the quarterback has worked with the offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, instance with three different NFL teams. You know, when it comes to evaluating Taylor Heineke as a commander starting quarterback, I mean, now can be that time. The offense is much better equipped with weapons as compared to last season's offense. The team's defense is a lot better than last season's defense, and the team is in a playoff race. Like, Scott Turner should be doing all that he can to maximize Taylor Heineke right now. And we, right now, should be getting a true evaluation of Taylor as an NFL quarterback, even though I know that many of you feel like you already know what he is as an NFL quarterback. And maybe what you think that he is is what he is, but let's find out for sure. But when it comes to a franchise quarterback needy team like our commanders, my guiding principle, my North Star is simple. If you don't have a franchise quarterback, then you need to constantly be looking for a franchise quarterback. The commanders, as things stand right now, do not have a franchise quarterback, and so they need to still be looking for a franchise quarterback. Well, if you have been victimized by the negligence of someone else and are in need of a law firm that will fight for you, you do not need to be constantly looking for representation. All that you need to do is contact Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical, ethical in his or her counsel or is negligent in his or her work, uh, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. 
Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. The Commanders are rolling. No podcast or show covers the Commanders like this podcast does. And so now's a great time to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast. If you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode and utilize the power of the pod, uh, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Amazing but true. The NFL team with the best record since week six is, yes, the Commanders. Six and one. Uh, no other team is better than five and one. The Commanders are in possession of the NFC's third and final wild card spot and are a half game behind the New York Giants for the NFC's second wild card spot. And oh, yeah, the seven and five Commanders are at the 7-4 Giants this Sunday afternoon at 1. In the meantime, a lot to be thinking about with the Commanders, and so I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Commanders analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, he played for the Skins from 2010 through 2014. He does a lot of really insightful work for the Commanders, uh, for their website and YouTube channel. Uh, he is the co-host of the Take Command podcast, and he puts out a lot of good content on his Instagram. His Instagram handle is Logan underscore Polson 82. Logan, it's great to talk to you again. How are you? I'm great, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, a lot of things going well for the commanders right now. Uh, I'd like to start with a bigger picture question. Uh, this is something that I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 452. This is, of course, season number three for Ron Rivera as Washington head coach. He, this past offseason, talked about the 2022 season needing to be a step-forward season, with the idea being that that was the next step in the rebuild. Is the Commanders having won six of their last seven games a sign that the rebuild is working? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. And I think if you're an optimist, which I tend to be a little bit optimistic, I say, yeah, there are some young pieces on this team that have really grown and developed. And I say, think you look at, you know, Forrest, you look at Cam's continued uh, development, you look at Deron Payne, you look at Jamin, you look at, um, you know, Benjamin St. Juice stepping in on the outside, you look at the offensive line kind of gelling together, um, the, the development of the young running backs, uh, um, B. Rob and Gibson kind of both finding their niche and role, Curtis Samuel evolving. I think all those things kind of trend towards one thinking that this team is is on a is is taking the next step in terms of developing right i think you could also say if you're a little bit more pessimistic like the strength of the schedule outside the philly game has been a little bit uh lackluster they've been in some really tight games which tend to be um very high uh you, you tend not to be able to ride that level of variance for very long like we're there in a po positive level of variance in terms of batting a ball down at the end of the game you know batting making a tackle at the one yard line against the chicago bears for benjamin st juice both those games could have gone either way and even if you look at the tennessee game right there's another game where it's really close and the margin for error is very very small i tend to think that the roster is improving um they've kind of found their offensive identity so i tend to lead more positive but i do think there is a world and a perspective that you can look at it and say you know, maybe this is skewed by the teams that they're playing. But um, but I, I, like I said, I'm a little bit more optimistic about it. 
The Commanders going 6-1 over their last seven games is the team's best record over a seven-game stretch in a regular season since the 2012 team won its final seven regular season games. Uh, You were on that 2012 Redskins team. Do you see similarities between the 2012 Redskins and the 2022 Commanders? Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think when you look at it really high, I mean, obviously, like when you look at specific uh, details of that team, it's very different. But high level, I think it's a team that is a run first team um, and they've really found their identity off of this kind of more physical downhill running attack. And what I mean by that is they have, you know, play action passes off of it. They've developed kind of wrinkles in terms of jet sweep, in terms of tight zone variations off the run game and they really kind of live and die by that and if you look at those teams in 2012 i know robert griffin gets a lot of headlines but we were running the heck out of the football and uh you know all of our play action stuff was off of the run game all of our little nuances were off of kind of variations in the run game so yeah i definitely see a lot of strong correlations i think this defense is significantly better but and i think um obviously at the quarterback position taylor's not playing like 2012 robert griffin but i do think the core of the identity is very, very similar. Well, each team did have a tight end named Logan, so there is that uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is that similarity too. So the commander's defense has been very good. It in the commander's last game, the nineteen thirteen win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field, though, uh, did struggle to stop the run off the commander's run defense having been excellent this season. I know that you going into the game thought that the Falcons rushing offense could be a problem for the commanders. They now are set to face some very capable, if not very good, rushing offenses over the team's remaining five regular season games. When you think about the New York Giants and the San Francisco 49ers and the Cleveland Browns and the Dallas Cowboys, is the commander's run defense at all a concern moving forward? Or was this past Sunday just a bad matchup and a bad day at the office? Yeah, I think it's definitely the latter for me. I think it's kind of, this was a, this is a team in Atlanta that is, I mean, it's as close to perfect as you can get when it comes to running outside zone. And then like the quarterback reads stuff off of it. I mean, they are just extremely well coached. And not only are they well coached, they have really talented offensive linemen, tight ends and fullbacks that can execute that at a high level. They have excellent, they have an excellent backfield, you know, Cordell Patterson, Algiers, and the other kid, uh, the other young uh, running back number 42 is an excellent player. Um, but I think when you look at the offensive line and the skill they have there, they have four first round draft picks and a second round draft pick. Obviously the second round draft picks hurt their left guard. Who's a first round draft pick is hurt, but that still leaves three very, very talented pieces that are kind of, run first players you know like uh, uh chris lindstrom is an excellent run blocking guard um caleb mcgarry is i mean he's like revitalized his career just being a physical you know nasty right tackle for them so i look at that and i say it's very rare that you're going to find a team that's that well coached um and that has that kind of personnel up front and also i think this schematically like what they were doing with the outside zone stuff is very very unique it's i think it's kind of interesting i was just thinking about it before we got on the call like the the other team that they had a hard time with in terms of stopping the run was the chicago bears and the chicago bears are an outside zone team and if you look at the rest of the schedule um there are very few teams outside of san francisco that run the outside zone even in the same universe you know in terms of proficiency as the atlanta falcons so i mean um not to say dallas doesn't do it obviously new york does it a little bit but they are they, you know, they're really banged up on the offensive line and they haven't been able to run it with the same efficiency that they were early in the year. So I definitely think in terms of matchups, maybe the 49ers give you a hard time, maybe the Cleveland Browns just because they have the best running back in the NFL. But I think on the whole, no one's going to run it as well as Atlanta did. And uh, I think for the rest of the year, that, that defense is going to kind of come back into form. You're very good at assessing the nature of schemes. Uh, is what defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio is doing this season schematically different than what he was doing last season, or are players just playing better than the players last season played? Well, no, I think it's largely the same, and I think uh, that's one of the things about schemes in the NFL. Like I remember having a conversation with Kyle Shanahan and him saying it takes about three years for guys to to embrace a scheme, to really buy into it. And he was talking about it in the context of the offense, but I think that's also true defensively. Um, and I look at like what they're doing and just the level of communication and the level of understanding that those guys have in the back end specifically. And then, you know, that also translates to the, to, to the front too, the way they're rushing together, how um, cohesive that group is, I think is very, very, um, it's awesome to see. 
and it's it shows kind of a maturation and understanding of the people that you're working with. So as much as um, you know, it, people want to constantly turn over coaches and stuff, there is a benefit to kind of sitting with a coach for a while, letting them get the coaching point in, letting the guys understand what they're looking for. Because right now you get a guy in Forrest, you get a guy in Cam, you get a guy in Bobby in the back end who just understand what the heck to do and how to match concepts. And it's really paying dividends not only for the defense, but also for the front, who's you know being very prolific in terms of sack production. The commander's quarterback situation, uh, I'd like to ask you about it in this way. So we know about the many good things about Taylor Heineke. Uh, we also know that the passing offense continues to be underwhelming. Should Ron Rivera be open to going back to Carson Wentz at some point this season if the passing offense continues to underwhelm, with the idea being that Carson offers the most upside? Or does Ron need to write out the season with Taylor? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's an excellent question. Um, I think what it really comes down to is I look at what Taylor does from a like a down-to-down consistency, right? Like, obviously, you're not going to have these gaudy numbers. He's not going to throw for 300 yards. This team is a run-first team, and rightfully so. But I look at kind of – I think there was – it was the um, third first down of the – third third down of the game, excuse me, and they're an empty personnel. There's a little bit of pressure. Taylor's able to vacate to the right of the pocket and find Terry for an easy completion on kind of a crossing route across the formation. He's able to elevate the offensive line. He knows where the football should go. Even like there's a pass to Gibson like a few plays later in that drive where it's a slant and a flat. And that was a concept that early in the season against um, the Dallas specifically, Carson Wentz struggled with. There's no hesitation in Taylor. The ball's out immediately to the back. and ends up being a 15-yard gain. So I just look at that kind of stuff that he brings, and that that is not the sexiest stuff, but it's elevating the offense. And to, to your first point about should Ron be thinking about going back to Wentz, I personally think yes at some point. Obviously, right now you want to ride the odd hand, and like I said, Taylor's doing a lot of really nice things that's elevating him at the position and elevating the offense. But, I mean, you invested a lot of money and you invested a lot of draft capital in kind of trying to determine whether Carson is your guy moving forward. I want to know with a with a really high degree of certainty that that's not the move because I need to know if we need to think about trading up in the draft this year. Do we need to make a move for another big kind of free agent this offseason? And those are data points that I want to have answered um, as soon as I possibly can. And um, you don't get that if he's not playing because, you know, we talked about how important it is for guys to be immersed in the scheme for a period of time. And Carson has not been right. He was only he only played, what, six, seven games. And we, I don't think we really got a, a good feel for his level of understanding for this offense. So I do think that's a data point that is <clears throat> outlying, excuse me. And it's something that I want to get answered, but I don't think he should start over Taylor in the foreseeable future because of those little things Taylor's doing at a really high level. We're talking commanders with commanders analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. Falcons quarterback Marcus Mariota, a lot of success against the Commanders last Sunday afternoon via read option runs. Watching him do that was a crystal clear reminder of how effective the read option can be for a mobile quarterback. Taylor Heineke's greatest physical attribute is his mobility. I have been so wanting the Commanders to better exploit Taylor's mobility. Why don't we see more read option with Taylor, why don't we see him presented as a run threat more often? I I don't really have a good answer for that. That's something that I've been calling for for you know the last <clears throat> excuse me two years or so, and um, I don't I don't really have a good answer for it. I think it does elevate what you do. Uh, my only kind of thought about it is that maybe he doesn't feel comfortable with it because uh, you know oftentimes everyone thinks the coordinator dictates the offense, but the player has a lot of say in what they can do. From a uh, from a schematic standpoint, and there are times where I see, um, you know, like they ran a little bit of more um, zone read versus uh, Minnesota, for example. And there was times where he's a little in between; he doesn't make the right read necessarily, and the play is not as effective if you can't read it effectively, right? And so I will say the one thing about Mariota is he has a lot of reps in the tank in terms of running that play. He understands how the mesh works at a really high level. And you're not getting that same level of proficiency from Taylor. So maybe it's like, hey, we're really good at these things. Let's put more time and resources into being good at these things. And we don't have time or energy to develop this other thing. Even though it could enhance our offense, I think people need to understand, like, in season, like, you're, you're a little bit on, on a truncated schedule. You know, it's hard to kind of put new stuff in. So um, that, would, that would be my only thought. I don't have any 
insider information on that. I'm just kind of looking for an answer there. The read option in the NFL is so interesting to me. This season, of course, is the 10-year anniversary of the 2012 Redskins, the team that popularized the read option in the NFL more than any other team. But what's also notable is that the team that, in a lot of ways, brought the read option to the NFL was the 2011 Carolina Panthers with then-rookie quarterback Cam Newton and then-rookie head coach Ron Rivera. There were a lot of people in 2012 who felt like the read option in the NFL was a fad that would not last. And, you know, that has turned out to be so wrong. As a player on the 2012 skins, what do you remember thinking about the read option uh, with which you guys obviously had great offensive success? Yeah, I mean, obviously that was like the the extreme. I mean, we were all in on that college style offense. And I think when thinking back on it, I just remember defenses had no solution. They had no answer. They had no response. And all their responses were kind of half-baked and not really um, effective, quite honestly. And so, you know, we, we were running it to the nth degree. We had pullers. We had guys coming back. We had sift blocks. We had all sorts of stuff. And obviously now it's become a little bit more truncated, a little bit more simplified. I think the most complicated team is probably um, – you know, Philadelphia in terms of what they do from an RPO standpoint, which is kind of like generation two of what we were doing um, when I was uh, in, in Washington. But I do remember Kyle saying at the end of that season, you know, he was talking about his offense with, uh, with Sean and he said, you know, I'm going to carry an element of this for the rest of my career because it just is a value add in certain situations, short yardage, red zone, where it's really, really hard to kind of make pay. You can call that play even with a quarterback like Kirk Cousins who can't run very well. And I think we can all remember Kirk scoring touchdowns on that kind of stuff just because the defense doesn't expect it. So in terms of like NFL offenses, you're always looking for a wrinkle. You know, when Sean went to uh, L.A., it was the jet sweep action. When um, Kyle goes to uh, when he goes to San Francisco, he starts running more gap scheme runs in conjunction with the outside zone stuff. You know, they're always looking for a wrinkle. And that's just a really easy wrinkle to always have in the bag. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense as to why it's been successful. And especially with the, the quarterbacks of this new generation being more and more athletic, I think it's something you're going to see for a very long time. So with the commanders leaning on the running game so much during this stretch of six wins in seven games, do you look at the leaning on the running game as the way that the team should be doing offense slash has to be doing offense? Or do you think that the team doesn't have to be as run-reliant as the team has been here recently? I think they kind of have to play this way. And I think they have to play this way for a couple of reasons. One, I think the offensive line is a offensive line kind of built to run the football. They're not great in pass protection. And so you want to insulate that group as much as possible. You want to take some of the decisions out of Taylor's hands. But also I think you need to understand that you have a very, very, very good defense and you have a very good special team. So if you can kind of manage the game offensively, um, get some first downs, you know, sustain drives, because I think when you look at the passing game efficiency, it's actually been pretty good. You know, it's not like they're not throwing for these gaudy numbers, for example, but in, in kind of important situations, third downs, you know, they're, they're finding ways to get explosive plays in the offense. Um, you know, I think that's it. You know, if, if you had an offensive line that was maybe a little bit more efficient from a pass protection standpoint, could you go to that bag a little bit more? If you had a quarterback who you felt a little bit more confident about in terms of arm strength, could you go to that bag a little bit more? I think absolutely, but I don't think that this is like a bad formula. I think teams are kind of, they've adopted this Vic, Vic Fangio defensive philosophy um, of, you know, playing light run boxes. You know, Washington does the same thing. And um, the whole premise is that like running is a little bit less efficient than the pass game. But at some point that tips when you allocate too much, too many resources towards stopping the pass, um, the run game becomes more efficient. And I think a lot of teams, you know, New York, Washington, um, Tennessee, obviously, Atlanta, they're tapping into that a little bit more. And it, you, it shows you that when you kind of execute this game plan effectively, you could punch up against better teams and better defenses. Final question. You mentioned the commander's offensive line, major problems early in the season. Things have been better lately. Is the line playing better or is the team just doing a better job of masking the problems of the line? I think they're speaking to the group's strength. You know, I think when you look at, um, a lot of teams, you know, it, it, one of the, uh, to me, everyone says playing corner is the hardest thing to do in the NFL. To me, pass protecting on third down, third and 10 obvious passing situations is the most challenging thing to do in the NFL. Those guys are geeked up. They're ready to make a play. And when, when you look at Carson's time at quarterback, 
the way Scott was calling the game was putting those guys in those high leverage situations all the time. And it just makes a lot of sense to me that they were having a tough go. So finding ways to kind of be more realistic with your expectations in terms of what you can execute offensively because of the offensive line, I think is important. Like a lot of teams, like very few teams have the ability to just sit back and drop back that way. Obviously everyone looks at those offenses, the bills, you know, Kansas cities of the world. Right. And they say, Oh, that's the kind of offense we want to run, but they've curated those offensive lines to do that. And this offensive line wasn't really built for that. So I think understanding your personnel, being realistic with your expectations. And like I said, the passing game has actually, since they've been running the ball more, been way more efficient. The offensive line has been way more efficient. And I think, um, yeah, that just speaks to kind of an understanding by Ron and Scott of what, where their strength is and how they can win football games. And the Commanders, of course, have been winning a lot lately. Commanders analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. Excellent insight. Logan, thanks a lot for your time, man. Much appreciated. Hey, thanks, man. I really appreciate having me on. All right, up next, the Capitals. A great 5-1 win at the Vancouver Canucks late night on Tuesday night as the great eight winger Alex Ovechkin made NHL history. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now that was more like it from the Capitals. They late night on Tuesday night in game two of a season-long six-game road trip, won for just the third time in 12 road games this season, uh, improved to 3-7-2 and two on the road and 10-11-3 and three overall with a 5-1 win at the Vancouver Canucks as the Caps off a 5-1 loss at the New Jersey Devils on Saturday night, bounced back with a 5-1 win at the Canucks on Tuesday night, and we on Tuesday night had NHL history. Winger Alex Ovechkin had two first period even strength goals, giving him 403 career NHL regular season goals in road games, moving him past Wayne Gretzky for the most NHL regular season goals in road games in league history. Uh, Ovi now is the NHL's all-time road warrior, in terms of goals, this is another major championship belt for Alex Ovechkin. He already was the NHL's all-time leader in regular season power play goals, and he eventually could become the NHL's all-time leader in regular season goals, period. We shall see. But Ovi on Tuesday night scored on a wrister in the low slot, 535 into the first period, as he from behind the Canucks net and off to the left stole the puck from Canucks defenseman Quinn Hughes and then quickly put the puck past Canucks goaltender Spencer Morton and then Ovechkin scored on a one-timer from the left circle 11:52 into the first period. Ovechkin had an overall very good game. Uh, two first period even strength goals, a game high tying five shots on goal, a game high 12 total shot attempts and a game high tying 
two takeaways. This was Alex Ovechkin in a postgame session with reporters very early Wednesday morning. Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, it's always nice when you beat uh, uh, the great one. Um, it doesn't matter what uh, kind of milestones it is, and, you know, uh, it's history. There you go. The Caps on Tuesday night came out on fire. Uh, you know, Caps head coach Peter Laviolette loves to talk about how when you get down early in a game, you end up chasing the game. Well, the Caps were not chasing anything on Tuesday night. Uh, they won the first period 3-1. They, in the first period, per natural stat trick, had nine five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Canucks, too. This was Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters early Wednesday morning on the importance of Alex Ovechkin in that first period on Tuesday night. Yeah, I thought the, he was really good in the first, and um, I thought we were really good in the first, so it was nice to get out and get the jump like that. But um, he certainly... I think led. We knew we needed to have a good first period, have a good game, and uh, you know you need your best players to do that. Yeah, the Caps for the game on Tuesday night per natural stat trick had 42 five-on-five shot attempts to the Canucks 38, but the Caps more tellingly had 13 five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Canucks four. Uh, the Caps did a really good job of limiting. The Canucks' high danger chances. Good game for goaltender Darcy Kemper. He stopped 31 of the 32 shots on goal that he faced. He, per natural stat trick, stopped five of the six high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped all 13 of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped all 13 of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. But 26 of the 32 shots on goal that he faced were non high danger shots on goal. Uh, the Caps went 3-3 on the penalty kill, 0-1 on the power play. Uh, also, defenseman John Carlson had another goal, a uh, second period even strength goal. He now has five goals over his last seven games. So a nice win for the Caps, especially considering that they do remain without a bunch of players due to injury. Defenseman Dmitry Orloff and five forwards, Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, Connor Brown, Carl Hagelin, and Beck Malenstein. Uh, Also, good to see the Caps get this win on Tuesday night off that 5-1 loss at the Devils on Saturday night in a game in which the Caps actually weren't that bad. Uh, The Caps got ripped by that final score of 5-1 despite dominating the puck possession battle. Uh, More from Peter Laviolette early Wednesday morning. I didn't like the result in New Jersey, but that doesn't always mean that you have to hate the way you played. There's games where, I'll be honest, and you'll hear it direct that we didn't play well. Um, There was a lot of good things that we did in New Jersey, and there was a lot of, you know, positives to pull from that and take the two games prior, and we need to do that. You know, we're just where we're sitting. We need to put stretches together, but, you know, we need those New Jersey games to turn into wins, too, so just we're in that position, and so, um, but it was nice to see after that game, we came back with a real solid game tonight. All right, next up for the Caps at the Seattle Kraken, Thursday night at 10. We, on Tuesday night, had both number 22 Maryland and number 3 Virginia playing on the road in the Big Ten ACC Challenge in college basketball, or the ACC Big Ten Challenge, depending on how you like to refer to the competition. Uh, Both Maryland and Virginia won, but in very different ways. Uh, The Terrapins improved to 7-0 overall with a 79-54 win at Louisville. Uh, Now, yes, Louisville is terrible this season. The Cardinals are 0-7 overall, but whatever, man. The Terps look great. The Turtles look really good so far this season. Uh, They have won all seven of their games this season in blowout fashion as Maryland's new head coach, Kevin Willard, is off to a very nice start. Uh, The Terps on Tuesday night got off to a nice start, began the game on an 18-4 run, never trailed in the game, uh, went 9-24 on threes and 19-32 on twos, held Louisville to just 4-16 on threes and just 15-40 on twos. Dante Scott, 29 minutes as a starter, 3-6 on threes, 4-6 on twos, 1-1 on free throws. He finished with 18 points, 
Five rebounds, two blocks, and two assists versus one turnover. Point guard Jameer Young, graduate transfer from Charlotte, uh, went to DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. He on Tuesday night in just 24 minutes as a starter went one of three on threes, five of seven on twos, and two of three on free throws. Finished with 15 points, five assists versus no turnovers, five rebounds, and three steals. The Terps are the number 22 team in the country if you go by the latest Associated Press Top 25 poll, but they now are the number 18 team in Division One. if you go by the latest rankings on KenPalm.com. Uh, but next up for Maryland is the Terps' first big test of the season. Uh, the Big Ten opener, home to number 16, Illinois, Friday night at 9. Also winning in the Big Ten ACC Challenge on Tuesday night was Virginia, but unlike Maryland, Virginia was in a rather tough game. Uh, the Cavaliers improved to 6-0 overall with a 70-68 win at Michigan. Uh, they overcame an 11-point halftime deficit, held Michigan to just two made field goals over the final 10 minutes of the game, and that was off the Cavs having gotten worked by Michigan in the first half. Uh, the Cavs allowed Michigan in the first half to score 45 points and go 7-13 on threes and 12-18 of 18 on twos, but the Cavs in the second half held Michigan to just 23 points and just one of six on threes. Uh, five Wahoos each scored at least 10 points. The Who's leading scorer was Reese Beekman. He, in 38 minutes, six seconds as a starter, had 18 points. He went one of one on threes, six and nine on twos, and three of four on free throws. Also had five assists versus one turnover and four rebounds. You know, UVA for the game attempted just eight threes, went four of eight on threes, also went just 12 of 19 on free throws, but UVA outscored. Michigan in the paint 44-24. UVA is the number five team in Division I for the latest rankings on KenPalm.com. Next up for Virginia, home to Florida State this Saturday afternoon at 2. Well, we have our first significant Nationals free agent signing of the 2022-2023 Major League Baseball offseason. Brace yourself for this, Jamer Candelario. Uh, I know, you, you will always remember where you were when you heard that the Nats had agreed on a contract with Jamer Candelario. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon announced that they had agreed on a one-year contract with free agent infielder Jamer Candelario. Uh, the Nats this offseason have made some moves here and there, but this move would qualify as the team's most significant free agent signing so far this offseason. And yeah, that is saying something when Jamer Candelario qualifies as a significant free agent signing. But, you know, all jokes aside, this is exactly the kind of player who the Nats should be signing right now. A low-cost, defensively versatile player who has shown that he can hit and who, most importantly, can potentially be flipped for a prospect or prospects. Right now, the rebuilding Nats need to have two kinds of players on the Major League roster, potential building blocks and potential trade chips. And if a player doesn't fall into one of those two categories, then you really do need to ask the question, what is he doing on the team? Well, Jamer Candelario is not a potential building block, but he is a potential trade chip. Uh, the Nats in the 2022 regular season were not good, as you likely know. Uh, they went a major league worst 55 and 107 with a major league worst run differential of minus 252. The Nats spending money this offseason to go from 55 wins to say 70 wins next season would be foolish. If you're going to be bad, be bad and then start spending money when you're coming out of the rebuild and are truly ready to be good again. You know, this is where the Orioles are at, and this is a big part of why the expectation is that the O's will be spending some money this offseason. And of course, the Nats remain in the midst of ownership uncertainty, so them spending money this offseason is especially unlikely. So yeah, Jamer Candelario, uh, the 2023 season will be his age 29 season. Uh, He has played both third base and first base at the major league level. Uh, Candelario did have a very bad 2022 season, so much so that he was non-tendered 
by the Detroit Tigers earlier this month. Candelario was an arbitration-eligible player for the Tigers, who they non-tendered earlier this month. Uh, He, in the 2022 regular season for the Tigers, over 467 plate appearances, had an OPS of just 633 and an OPS plus of just 83. 100 is league average. 83 is well below league average. But Candelario was very good over the previous two seasons. Uh, He, over the 2020 and 2021 regular seasons for the Tigers, over 832 plate appearances, had an OPS of 814 and an OPS plus of 125. Jamer Candelario for the 2021 regular season actually tied for first in the majors in doubles with 42. Uh, as things stand right now, Jamer Candelario would figure to be in competition with Ildemaro Vargas and Carter Keboom for the Nats' third base job, uh, although the Nats have a prospect named Jake Alou, and that's a name that, if you're a Nats fan, you want to keep in mind. Uh, Jake Alou could be a factor at third base for the Nats this coming season. The Nats took Alou in the 24th round of the 2019 MLB draft at a Boston college of uh, the 2023 season will be his age 26 season, and this is a guy who last season hit at the top two levels of the minors. Uh, Jake Alou in the 2022 season, over 567 plate appearances for AAA Rochester and AA Harrisburg, had an OPS of 871. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 454. We'll have a lot for you on the Commanders as they on Wednesday are beginning their practice week for the big game this Sunday, seven and five Commanders at the seven and four New York Giants this Sunday afternoon at one. We on Wednesday expect to hear from head coach Rod Rivera and quarterback Taylor Heineke via post-practice press conferences. Also on Thursday show, I'll talk Wizards. They are at the Brooklyn Nets Wednesday night at 7.30 and I'll talk Georgetown basketball. The Hoyas are at Texas Tech Wednesday night at eight in the Big 12 Big East battle. Have a great rest of your Wednesday and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Make him humble. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.